Welcome to Breakpoint Podcast, a show that dedicates itself to the best racket sport in the world. For the most extensive tennis podcast, let's join Ryan Tennyson, Josh Campbell, Joel Fritchie, and your host, Val Febo. The Miami Open is over a week old now, and the Aussies have stolen the show for both positive and negative reasons. Tanasi Kokonakis produced the performance of his career to stun Roger Federer before getting involved in an argument with Fernando Vadasco in his next match. And of course, Nick Kyrgios just had to stick his nose in. This is Breakpoint Podcast. I'm your host, Val Febo. Plenty to get through. I've got some strong opinions on this issue, so I will go through what I have to say uh, in due course. Joel and Josh are in the house. Today we're going to talk about Miami, what's happened so far. Kokonakis' stunning win over Roger Federer in the second round, reducing the Swiss to his second consecutive loss. Shock horror. He's lost two times in a row. Who would have thought? Um, we'll also talk about what's, uh, what happened in that stoush. Um, the performances of Zverev, Del Potro still in, Ranic still in the tournament. Lots of things to talk about, plus the women's draw and who we think is going to conquer that side of the tournament. But for before we do any of that, we'll introduce the panel. Joel Frucci is here with me as usual. Joel, how are you? Going well, Val. How are you? I can yeah. imagine you're, you're simmering on top. Oh, I'm ready to go. I'm ready to go today. Um, this is just firing me up. And this Josh kettle Campbell... is boiled. Oh, it is boiled. It's, it's screaming. It's, uh, oh, it's, it's going. But Josh Campbell's also here. Another reason why my kettle is boiling, because just that excited to see him. Oh, that's really good. It's boiling for a positive reason. That's, that's, yeah. that's nice. Yeah. yeah. I feel like I'm going to be the only one um, more towards Nick's corner in this um, soon-to-be debate, but... Do you want to leave this studio headless? Because that can happen. I'm just here. <laughs> I'm just here to leave my opinion, that's all. No, that's fine, mate. No worries. Well, we will get into that now, and that, that's the opening of our agenda. This whole Twitter argument between Kyrgios, Vadasco, Kokonakis was involved in that somehow, and... Somehow, Kokonakis always seems to be involved in Nick Kyrgios' controversy, but it all started in the Kokonakis match against Vadasco, and we'll get, in, we'll get into his win over Federer a little bit after that. But it started, um, Vadasco was disturbed by a man in the crowd, and that man turned out to be Tanasi's father. Um, and Kokonakis said a few choice words to Vadasco at that point when he was, uh, Vadasco asked the umpire to um, evict that fan from the stadium. Tanasi's like, that's my dad. And he's like, well, that's not your dad. And he goes, it's the guy in the hat, isn't it? And Vadasco goes, yeah. And he's like, that's my effing dad. So a little bit of aggression there. And Vadasco was like, well, I'm not sorry. He's disturbing the play. Um, and it's fair enough if he was disturbing the play. Um, I didn't actually see the incidents that Vadasco was going. But from what I'm told, uh, there was a bit of a disruption there every time Vadasco was at that end, which is fair enough on Fernando's part. Um, and Tanasi just sort of, you know, sticking up for his own father in that sense, but Nick Kyrgios then entered and stuck his nose in where it didn't belong. Didn't have to send this tweet out, but I hope TK wins this match. Vadasco is the saltiest dude, must be frustrated at his past success against Australians. So I think Vadasco at that point had lost six consecutive matches against Aussies. Nick Kyrgios has since taken that tweet down. But Vadasco tweeted him back and said, when you have the courage to put out a tweet insulting another player, you need to have the same to not delete it. Um, which is, again, fair enough. Nick then goes on and says, I would honestly I would honestly have told it to Fernando's face. The reason I deleted my previous tweet was because I didn't want to cause unwanted attention. But I'm just going to leave this here. Thanks for blocking me. I'm sure that took a lot of courage. X. So, just being a right royal smartass. No, so, I say th- this is wrong, Australia. I, di- right. I disagree with you. You go. 
I saw this as, um, first of all, the uh, exchange between Vadasco and Kokonakis was unfortunate because it was more based off a of miscommunication rather than anything else. Vadasco not like the obviously Tanasi's dad was in the wrong by being overly overtly aggressive um, as a spectator, yeah of course of course yeah. and um, at a tennis match and, and you should just, know what you're doing Vadasco when he did it would have had anything on towards towards Tanasi because obviously he didn't know it was his dad and mm. so he said can you please remember the spectator and it's unfortunate that it's happened to be Tanasi's dad and then that's caused this escalation I saw Nick originally his comment that I hope TK wins this match Vadasco is the saltiest dude I. I think you see that as more as him just trying to take shots at Fernando because he can. I saw that as um, Nick standing up for one of his Aussie mates. Nah, I don't see that at all. Joel? I just don't care about Nick. (laughs) Um, I I, I don't want to talk about this guy's off-field indiscretions. I think I've said enough times that I want to like this guy, but he's just making it difficult for himself. Um, I'm just just fed up of, of, of... giving him the oxygen, to be honest. Like, do, you, do you think it was a direct shot at Vadasco or him sticking up for his mate? Oh, well, calling someone the saltiest dude is probably a bit of a shot, yeah. I think. Oh, there, there was um, definitely some of it that was di- directly towards Fernando. It's, but... it's certainly a shot, but yeah, I'm just, to be honest, I'm just over all this stuff with Nick, the off-field. But the point is, Josh, and I know what you I understand what you're saying, it's just so pointless. It is pointless. Like, the, the whole um, hoopla around this is pointless. Like, people are dealing, putting this up as a massive thing. All Nick did was tweet someone that was playing as one a of his A fellow mates. player and competitor. A fellow player and competitor definitely makes it worse. But still, it's just a tweet. And then he's deleted the tweet, probably because most likely because his media team's told him, well, you probably want to take that down. Yeah. He, I reckon he would have liked to have kept that up as well because... If, if I know Nick, Nick's someone who would would happily say it to his face as well. Yeah. But he didn't. Say, he said he didn't want to cause unwanted attention. Well, it already did, and then you've left that other tweet. I genuinely and don't having another go. I gen- at you're going to call me an idiot. I genuinely don't believe he wanted attention from this. I think he literally did. Well, then did. don't tweet. I, I think he was just doing that, standing up for his mate. He's like he's one of his good mates is getting yelled at by a fellow compatriot, and they're in a heated argument, yeah. and he's just voicing his um, concerns on the issue on social media. So, look, if this was his first offence doing it, then I would believe you. I understand that. If and, this was his and first offence... And that's defense. the reason this has become mainstream, because if this is anyone else, this is nowhere near as important. But because it's Nick, this becomes a massive deal, because this isn't his first offence. This is no. his 14th and 15th offence. No, and that's exactly right. And this is where... I, I'm just going to say my piece here, because I've, I've been holding my tongue on him for so long, and I've, I've had little jabs here and there, but he just needs to grow up. That's that's plain and simple. Don't get involved in this in this social media crap because you tend to do it a lot. It's happened with Taylor Walker, Patrick Dangerfield, um, many members of the media, and, and numerous other people and uh, figures around the globe for for four or five years now. And it's getting it's getting ridiculous. And for the people that say, "Oh, nah, he's young. He just needs to learn." He's nearly twenty four years old. He's been on tour for five six years now. And the thing is. He's probably had social media since he was about 13, 14. So that's probably 10 years now. And he still doesn't know what's right and wrong. How can you be so thick in the head that you don't know that what you're doing is stupid and it's going to cause a stir? Because that's technically what he's continuing to do over and over and over. And it's just ridiculous. He's looking like a smartass. And this is why people don't like him and they can't like him. And at this stage, I never will. Because yes, he's a talented tennis player. Yes, that's what I'd like to be focusing on with him. But he's just acting like a, a prick, essentially. And there's other words that I would like to be using, but because we're on a podcast, I can't. Um, and look, it's not even your fight, Nick. It's between Tanasi and Fernando. They're having the argument on court. 
they're probably not too happy with each other at the moment because Tanasi didn't really do too much to appease the situation. But why is Nick getting involved and being such a smartass towards Vadasco? Because I don't think Vadasco did anything to, or hasn't didn't do anything to bring him into it. So there's no real. Well, reason. we don't know if there's back uh, history between. The and two. there could be, but. Vadasco didn't do anything it, to bring him into the argument. The way that he worded day. it, that tweet makes it sound like there has been previous history between the two. Yeah, and the thing is, Vadasco had a right to be annoyed at the situation. Someone in the crowd is disrupting him, and I'm sorry, I'd be pretty pissed off too if that was the case. There's no reason for Nick to be acting like a smartass and tweeting this sort of stuff out against a player that's his senior and against a fellow competitor because it just makes him look like an absolute idiot. And a moron of a human being, which I'm starting to think he is. The way that he acts and conducts himself. You are not a gangster. You're not an American basketballer. Stop acting like one. You're a tennis player. Look. And there's so many other players that have gone on and and shown what the quintessential athlete should be. And he's just acting like a spoilt little child and a brat. And I'm so sick and tired of him. And I hope he hears this. Um he won't hear this. Yeah, well, I don't think he will. But I, I honestly, I, I hope he hears this because I, I, I'm sick and tired of it, and I can't support him. I don't care that he's Australian or not. I can't support him because he's just the thing that I hate the most in an athlete. I, and I don't care what he does with his foundation. I'm sorry to interrupt. I don't sorry. care what he does outside of tennis. This is the true Nick Kyrgios, the idiot, the social media brat, and. I, I don't care what anybody else says. That That's my piece. I've finally said it. I'm happy now. Look, I've said most of my piece. I just think this is an incident that has been blown out of proportion. It was a one and a tweet and then a follow-up tweet, and it's been nothing more. It was a little bit immature, probably not necessary, but the everything that has happened as a result of this is completely unnecessary. I think people should move on and um, not continue to talk about this as much as it's being talked about because I don't think it's an issue. Mm. I just think, well, it would have been blown up a lot more if the cricketers didn't really do what they did. Um, sort of happened at the wrong time. Yeah, that's but a conversation look, for a different podcast. Look, this this controversy has sort of marred what Tanasi actually achieved in this yeah. tournament. Qualified for it, um, got through to the second round. that is the real talking point of this tournament. Oh, what happened to Roger Federer? Yeah. Tanasi Kokonakis and Joel, it was a phenomenal performance, wasn't it? To actually, mm. Federer lost the third set tiebreak against your man Juan Martin Del Potro in Indian Wells. Yeah. And when they got to the third set tiebreak, I think a lot of people would have thought, ah, oh, you know, Rogers probably learnt from that loss. Yes, tiebreaks can go either way. But I think just with what happened the week prior, Federer would have been sort of prepared for the situation. But yeah. Tanasi got through very comfortably, didn't he? He did. Um, and yeah, it was a surprise to see Roger lose certainly another another tiebreaker in, in a row um, under in a big high-pressure situation. Um, I mean, obviously, we didn't expect him to lose in, in the first place. So the fact that it probably got to that point was um, as big a surprise as any. But, I mean, take, let's take nothing away from Tanasi as well. I mean, fantastic. And uh, you know, he's, I guess it's been so up and down for him since, um, since he came back from, from the injury. And we're, we're just patiently waiting for, yeah. for him to really kind of break that ceiling that we know we can do. And, um, well, you know, this is as big a coup as you can get. So yeah. um, hopefully he's finally done it. And, and this is the, the time where we, we really see Tanasi Kokonakis take his game um, to that next level that we all want to see. Well, he stuck a hammer into the roof of that ceiling and he's, yeah. almo- he's almost got a hole through it that he can break through with a performance like that. And look, he, he was phenomenal. And to hold your nerve against Roger Federer, and he, he does genuinely play well against world number ones. I remember at the 2014 uh, Australian Open, he took on Rafa as world number one. Uh, and I think it was 4-4-4. Four, four, four. He lost that. In the French Open in 2015, 
Osteen took on Novak Djokovic. I think that was also 4-4-4. Four, four, and four. Um, The Rafa one, I think, was a bit more one-sided than 4-4-4, four, four, and four, actually. But um, he pushed Djokovic, and now he's beaten Roger Federer. So he genuinely does play well against the big players. And I think that's what impressed me the most, that he actually held his nerve, came through qualifying, and then ended up getting himself into the tournament and beating what was a week ago a seemingly invincible Roger Federer. And Josh, I know you're a big fan of what Tanasi can produce yeah. on the court. And what did you make when you saw that result? I was thrilled. It was fantastic. It was kind of confirming uh, what people have been saying about Tanasi for years, that he really does have this potential to become one of the, um, well, or arguably become Australia's best tennis player, yeah. that he could rival Nick and also push himself and become a top 10, top five player when he hits his prime. Yeah, and that's exactly right. I think the power that he's got is... It's something to behold, really, because... And that's the thing. As I said last week, the key, I think, to beating Roger Federer is power. Mm-hmm. And Tanasi's got the power. He's a big hitter. And we've seen big hitters push Federer this year. And I think that's where he's got the... Or players have the capabilities to beat him. I don't think a Djokovic or a Nadal might beat Federer anymore. Maybe Nadal, on especially on clay, but... Mm you've got to be able to hit the ball hard. And yeah. that's where you've got to attack Roger because his movement, it's its not what it once was. No. And he's 36. Yeah. So continue. I was what were you say, say? Um, well, we talked a little bit about it with his Indian Wells loss and I kind of want to follow it up in his loss to Tanasi. And that's, um, I don't think I've seen Federer make more wrong decisions in a match than he did against Tanasi. Yeah, he, he seemed a little bit off from, uh, from what I saw. It wasn't necessarily physically. I think mentally there was something a little bit off with his game. He was making, he was drop showing at the wrong time. He was coming forward at the wrong yep. time. He was making bad decisions, and um, Tanasi was outplaying him in, in certain areas, and the, particularly out hitting him because you talked about that earlier. About um, that's where you've got, where you've got to beat Roger. But there was a, something about Roger's game that does seem a little bit off, and I'm not sure exactly why. Yeah, I'm not sure. Um, it's a little bit. It, it, did you did you feel anything was was off with Federer? Or was just a, a, a sublime day by by Tanasi. Um, well, I don't think there were any in, any individual elements of his game that were that were off. Um, again, I think, don't think we should take anything away from Tanasi. But um, to touch on the whole power thing, Val, um, I think whether it's whether it's Roger or not, I mean, power is a very hard thing to negate when it's on. Exactly. Um, when you hit your lines, it doesn't really matter who you're playing. That you're going to struggle to find a player that can that can stop that. Um, so whether yep. it's Roger or I don't know, your, your 200th ranked player in the world or 400, whoever it is, um, you're not going to find many that can that can stop it. Yeah, and you're, you're right. But look, if you look at the stats, I, I think Roger played a very good brand of tennis. So, uh, nine aces, three double faults, served at 65% first serves. Tanasi was seven aces, seven double faults, 52% first serves. Federer won more points on first, more percentage of his points on first serve, eighty-two percent to seventy-seven percent. They won fifty-five percent points of uh, points each on their second serve. But what I'm looking at, Federer was only broken once for the entire match, and so was Tanasi. So it was a pretty even affair. Um, so look, I, he had, I think Federer had four, uh, was uh, one from five on break points. Tanasi was uh, one from three. So, look, they both created the same amount of opportunities. Federer actually won more points for the entire match, uh, 51% to 49, 96 to 90, uh, 98 to 96. So Federer actually had the leeway in a lot of the stats there, but Tanasi was still able to come up trumps, which I think is a testament to the character of Kokonakis mm. to actually come through and win that match. Well, but- another thing I really liked from Tanasi was in his post-game interview, um, instead of going on about how um was not expecting to beat Roger, this is an amazing 
experience for me. I'd never experienced like that. He was confident. He talked about um, how he mentally was able to beat Federer. He talked about how he was able to knuckle down, put pressure on him, and then start to dictate points. Yeah. And so he, he was very strategic in explaining to the media after the game how exactly he beat Federer. And for me, that shows a lot of confidence and a lot of maturity. Yeah. And I think we've seen he's a lot more mature than two of our other Australian players that we've seen go by in the last couple of years, but we've already spoken about one of them, so we'll move on. But Federer, just a little bit of news, he has decided to skip the clay court season. Uh, Joel, good move or bad? I think it's a good move. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's not defending anything. No. no, he's not. So why would you bother? And he will lose his number one spot but uh, yeah, that's on true. the next ranking, but... Because uh, he did, he I think he had to get to the quarterfinals of Miami or beat Del Potro last week to hold it until pretty much Wimbledon. But well, will Rafa defend all of those points? He's got four thousand six hundred and twenty points to defend. That's what I was going to say. Yeah, like he, um, Federer's now got like what do a month and a half? Is it a month? Two months. Two months off of tennis, uh, where he's able to recover, focus on yeah. his game, improve for Wimbledon. Whereas um, Rafa Nadal's going to have to basically win every single set, every single match. For the, for the duration of this clay court season yeah. in order to keep his world number one. And it's pressure. World number one it is pressure. It is a lot of pressure. And so from Roger, I see it as a really smart decision. Yeah, because then next year he comes back. Yeah. Um, I th- To be honest, I think the, the year that he retires, we'll probably see him play the French again. Yeah. Um, just sort of a farewell tour. I think he probably owes the Paris fans that mm. um, for one of the Grand Slams. But... I, honestly, I, I don't disagree with you guys because I think it is. I don't think it's a bad move. It is Federer's weakest surface. Um, he's not going to win the French Open. You wouldn't think. No. Um, a lot. It would have to be a Stephen Bradbury like performance with everybody <laughs> falling over, probably, oh, and all the you, good clay you, quarters. Yeah, in I was going to say you 50. say everyone. There's uh, there's a few. There's the Zverev team and um, Nadal. If I see them going out, maybe. Uh, Federer would be a Not favorite. Zverev. I think Zverev, uh, on, on clay, I think Federer could, could take him down. I think Team and Nadal are probably the two biggest players to beat. And we'll get, we'll get to that when the mm. clay court season comes around and who we think are the, are the big players to beat. But the, uh, a lot of other things have happened in Miami, believe it or not. Um, I know we've only spoken probably about two or three things. But um, one Martin Del Potro is, again, in some phenomenal form. And he, look, he wants to become the eighth man to take out the Sunshine Double of Indian Wells and Miami. Um, at the rate he's going, he's dropped one set to Robin Hassa. He's gotten through the rest of the draw pretty unscathed. Destroyed Philip Kronjevic this morning. We'll take on Ranić in the quarterfinals tomorrow. And after and, what he did to him in the semis of yeah. Indian Wells, guys, I don't see any way out of this for Milos. I, I have talked a little bit about how I think Milos still has um, a Grand Slam in him. Yeah, I, I disagree. And you disagree, there, <laughs> yeah, but at the moment, it's I would. That's an incredibly tough task for Raonic to try to, and underdone Raonic to try to outdo Del Potro, who's the most form player in the competition. Well, what's he on now, Joel? I think he won five straight in Acapulco, then six straight in mm. uh, Indian Wells, and now he's gone. He's won second, third, fourth. So what's that? What's my maths there? That's fourteen, 14 matches yeah. unbeaten. I got there in the end. Um, fourteen <laughs> matches unbeaten. Do you see, uh, like, a lot of the big players have fallen now. On the top side mm. of the draw, there's a few, but there's Zverev still in. But is is Del Potro even going to get close to being beaten? He's dropped one set, as I said. But, yeah. look, he just looks in some ominous form. Yeah, I don't I don't see him being beaten. Um, I, I look at what's left of the, of, of the men, and I see a lot of uh, similar type of players. Yeah. Uh, a lot of big servers, and... For me, Juan Martin is the one that that really stands out uh, among all of those guys. So, I guess why it, is that? 
I think he's at the moment he's just the most well-rounded one. Um, mm-hmm. He's got all the boxes ticked. Um, serves on, forehands on, always is. Let's face it, backhands on. The mental side of his game is good. Um, and I, I just look at them all: um, Isner, Zverev, Anderson, uh, Raonic, all very similar players. The only ones probably you can are uh, an exception are Chorich, Chung, and Karenia Buster. So, look, I, I think of all those, Juan Martin is the one that just stands out head above heels as. As, as the best player of the lot. So I don't think he'll be uh, really troubled on the way. Yeah, I, I do agree with that statement. He is by far the most well-rounded. But Josh, if you see him come, coming up against a guy like Hyun Chung, how, how do you think Chung would go about beating Del Potro? And do you think he actually could push him with the form that he's in and what he showed at the Australian Open? Is that the type of player at this tournament that will beat Del Potro? Because the big servers, as Joel said, aren't as well-rounded as Del Potro. Yeah. So in the ground stroke side of things, he'll get it. But do you think Chung is that guy that can actually come up and, and knock him off? Well, yes, because you need to move him around the court. That's that's the way you're going to beat Del Potro because um yes he does have more movement than a lot of the big men but if um Chung is able to dictate points from behind the baseline I think that's your best chance of beating him. Yeah, well, hundred percent. So I think if if that is the semi final, I think that's going to be a cracker. I'm I'm really excited yeah. for that for that matchup. But a few other results: Chilich falling to Isner this morning. Um, your man. For world number one, yeah. still still on track or? Oh, it's looking less and less likely. Yeah, but... it's <laughs> it's not not looking good for you, mate. No. Nope. Um, so that result was seven six six three this morning. Uh, Shardy over Dimitrov six four six four. I'll tell you what, Grigor's been really disappointing so far this year. Um, I, well, yeah, he looked really good in the Australian Open. I'm surprised. But I didn't, Grigor, I didn't think he did. You got, are we no? Are we talk, are we talking about the same Grigor that I watched in the Australian Open? Yeah, I, I didn't think he was too bad. Really, I, I thought he was quite poor. I thought yeah, he was well I, below his best. I did too. I think, why did you think he looked so good? Well, the matches I seemed to watch with him, um, like, there was a little bit of inconsistency, which is expected from him. But when he was at his best, I thought he looked very, very impressive. And I thought maybe there was a chance he was going, if he was to come up against Federer, that that he would have been no, able to pressure him. I, I, did, I thought he was a long way off. And uh, th- you said when he was at his best, he was awesome. And the match against Kyrgios showed yeah, that. Yeah. He was at his best for most of that. But other than that, those moments were very few and far between. And we saw that against Mackenzie McDonald in the second yeah, that, round. Yeah, that, um, that's us talking about the inconsistency. Because there were, if you looked at that match, there were sets where Dimitrov looked fantastic. Well, he lost one six love. Yes, and then there were, there were um, sets where he just looked absolutely pedestrian. Yeah, and Ed, Edmund pretty much finished him off pretty easily. I thought if you're going to come up against anyone in that quarterfinal that's in a top 10, uh, and if you're Kyle Edmund, you'd want Grigor Dimitrov. So it was it was a phenomenal performance by Edmund to do what he did. But yeah, Dimitrov just hasn't impressed me at all this year. Hasn't As I said, yeah. I thought he was good in the Australian Open. Since then, I thought he's been very poor. Yeah, extremely so. Um, Novak Djokovic, well, look, I know he's underdone, but to Benoit Paire, really, <laughs> Paire can turn it on when he wants, but Again, few and far between moments, but Djokovic, well, I, I just don't think he should be back playing so soon after surgery. And I know it was only minor, but mm. no, he just looks like a completely different Novak. That was not a game where Benoit Paire turned it on. That was a game where Paire Novak just turned a, it off. a very, very underdone form of world number one. It went pear-shaped. <laughs> <laughs> I just love the laugh there because he found his own joke so amusing. But look, can we see... and? Clay, when you're coming back from injury, only if Clay is your best surface do you really start to come into your own. But for Djokovic, when you've got to move 
more. You got to play more ground strokes. He's coming into a start to a part of the season that coming back from elbow surgery is going to be one of the most difficult. Um, the fast surfaces of the United States are quite a, a better for him, I guess, because you don't have to play as long a rallies. But when you rely on rallies like he does, especially on clay, I think it's going to be a really tough couple of months for him. Mm. And what do you guys think? Do you reckon he'll he'll make inroads back into that top ten anytime soon, or do you think there'll be a bit of a drop before we see him come back to his best form yeah. or somewhat close? I just worry that because of the nature of the injury, um, he's kind of going to plateau a little bit in that in the position that he's currently in. Um, you know, being being a tennis player, the, the elbow is one of the ones that you don't want. Yeah, um, that, that that one kind of lingers for a while, and it's in. The, I'd, I'd almost put it in the same bracket as the wrist because it's just such an important. Yep. Um, or the hip. Yeah, or the hip. It's such an important joint. Um, you know, if you can't get that right, we've. Mm. I mean, we've seen we've seen so many players have that kind of injury and and yeah. just drop down the rankings and really fall by the wayside. I guess the one that the one that you look at is um, Nicholas Almagro. He. he Sensational talent. He just never got back to his best. No, and it was really that sad. Injury. It was really sad. And I, I just, um, I know, I know you, you might disagree with this, Val, because you're not Novak's biggest fan. But I really can't see him rediscovering those heights anytime soon, just because of the kind of injury that it is. Yeah, there's an injury literally referred to as tennis elbow. Yeah. Well, you're 100 yeah. percent right, and that's the thing. That's that's what worries me that you're actually not going to see him get back to his best. And I know I harp on that. I'm not his biggest yeah. fan, but he was unbelievable to watch when he was at his he best. He was, and he's a, he's a great talent, and yeah, it, it is sad that a career can be derailed by injuries. You'd want someone to go out on their own terms. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's it's really disappointing. But just a couple of other things. Um, Chorich continuing his good form. He's in the quarterfinals against Kevin Anderson tomorrow morning and Alexander Zverev over Nick Kyrgios this morning, 6-4, How salty do you think um, Kyrgios would have been about that? <laughs> Um, <laughs> thought, uh, thought I should have I brought know, that Did up. you guys watch the game? With- uh, I watched bits and pieces, but I've been running around most of the day, so I haven't, uh, didn't have a, too much of a chance. Watch a bit of the highlights there. And um, uh, Kyrgios was 5-1 down in the first set, came back to draw it to 5-4, five, uh, but Zverev ended up holding uh, on his second try. I so. think Nick looked, looked very distracted, which was... Oh, he's still injured. Yeah. So he's still not doing... Uh, he's still injured, trying to play... Um, Look, I don't know how much physical conditioning he's doing outside of tennis, um, but it's not looking good for him. He's had an injury in every tournament that he's played this year. Um, well, yeah, he problems didn't retire. Ga- he played the match. Yeah, out. problems galore for Nick. I think there's um, he really needs to get his body right. Picks now. So last week, Joel, you will get an extra point if Del Potro does win because you had him Excellent. last week. Josh and I, unfortunately were quite wrong. Mm. Um, so let's go. We'll start with sort of the whole draw pick here. So. Joel, quarterfinal, PCB, Carino Booster, and Anderson, who wins that? Carino Booster. Carino Booster. Yep. All right, rematch of the US Open semi. They played last week, actually, in Indian Wells, and Anderson was mm. able to get through that in three. Zverev and Chorich. Zverev. Zverev. Chorich won that in the US Open second round last year, so mm-hmm. could be an interesting one. Del Potro, Ranich. I know who you're going to go there, Del Potro. Yes. Yes. And uh, Chung Isner. Chung Isner. Oh, that's a... That's a tough one. It's a very difficult one. Um, Hyun Chung, actually. Yep. Chung. All right. So you had uh, PCB and Zverev. Who wins that? Zverev. So Zverev in the final. Del Potro, Chung. Del Potro. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> Del Potro over Zverev to win the final. Del Potro, yep. Fantastic. Thank you, Joel and Josh. Carreño Busta, Anderson. I'm going to go Carreño Busta in that one. All right. Okay. So both of you gone Carino Booster there. Zverev Chorich. Well, Zverev. Zverev. Uh, Del Potro Ranic. Del Potro. Yep. Uh, Chung Isner. Gone Chung. Chung. Yep. Uh, 
Karina Bustavi Zverev. 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 And Del Potro over Chung as Del well. Del Potro, and I've got uh, the same final as well. Del Potro over Zverev. Okay, fantastic. I have picked Anderson to get over Karenio Busta. I've got Zverev in the semis. Del Potro over Ranich Chung as well. Uh, Del Potro to beat Chung. Anderson to knock off Zverev and reach the final, but Del Potro will be too strong what as if, he was in Acapulco. Why are you so high on Kevin Anderson at the moment? The way he's playing. One in, uh, one in New York. Won in uh, or made the final of Acapulco uh, quarterfinals in Indian Wells last week. Uh, I just think he's looking the goods. And why do you see him betting Zverev? Zverev just hasn't impressed me this year. Um, I think he's got a lot of work to go. He's a super talent, but I don't know why. For some reason, he's beaten Kyrgios quite easily twice. Yeah, he does. Um, he's got Kyrgios's number. Yeah, but look, Kyrgios has been injured in both of those encounters as as usual. Um, but look. Oh, I just think Anderson's in some ripping form at the moment. I love watching him play. Um, he's hitting the ball really cleanly, and I just reckon he'll, he'll get over the top and, and make a Masters 1000 final. So, yeah, there you have it. Del Potro over Zverev in the final. Oh, sorry, Anderson in the final. You two have Zverev. So, interesting times ahead. The WTA now, there's been a few uh, upsets in this draw, I'd say. And, look, it's... it's been quite a good draw again that, that we've seen on the WTA. And, well... How the hell did Radovanska beat Halep? Uh, <laughs> how? <laughs> well, I, I, I don't know. She can do that Power on hitting. her day. Oh, sure. <laughs> Wasn't really. Yeah, that's what in this, the Radovanska Halep game. That's what I was watching. From the, the highlights that I saw, I just didn't see. It was more so she just grinded her down in three sets. It was look. She's just she's lost a lot of the form that saw her in that top ten Radvanska, but she still can turn it on. I'm just surprised that. Um, that she knocked Halep off, but we, I think we, Halep we, just we, hasn't. Were we watching the same game? Because like mo- most of what I was watching was um, Radvanska was um, very impressive at just hitting Halep off the court. She was Halep was either either absorb coming to the power a little bit, maybe more, but more so. I, I kind of just saw that as Radvanska kind of countering what Halep yeah. was doing, and that's generally the player that she is. But I, I just I, I saw no chance of her beating Halep. But look. Credit to her for doing it. Um, beating the world number one is not easy. Sloane Stevens, uh, she'll get into the top ten for the first time in her career. She knocked off, destroyed Angelique Kerber this morning. Um, Alina Svitolina has had a great run. She knocked off Naomi Osaka in straight sets after Osaka did beat Serena Williams in the first round, like we did pick. Mm. Um, she also beat Gavrilova after losing the first set, only dropped one game in the second and third combined, um, and then knocked off Ash Barty in straight sets there. So she's looking the goods is. Alina Svitolina. Um, Danielle Collins, though, I want to talk about this. What a story this is. She qualified for the tournament and has reached the quarterfinals after, well, let's see who she's knocked off. She's knocked off Arena Kamalia Begu, Coco Vandewey, Donna Vekic, Monica Puig, and she'll take on Venus Williams tomorrow morning. Not a bad uh, run. Well, not at all. After she made the fourth round at Indian Wells as well. So she's 24 years old, hadn't been in the top 100 and has just produced some scintillating tennis to get through to the final 16 and final eight at two pretty massive tournaments. That's so, going to be a wild crowd. America versus America, Venus Williams versus a young qualifier, which we both know they'll get around her as well. Yeah, and well, I think all all fans tend to love the underdog. So I, I think it's one of the best stories of the year so far, as we've seen over the last year and a half. Tennis has produced some glorious narratives and I think Danielle Collins at the moment if she can get her ranking up into the top 50 or so I think that'd be definitely one of them so um does she beat Venus though who knows what do you reckon I don't know I see Venus Williams winning that it's a tall order yeah it's a very tall order 
Yeah. Are you are you saying that because Venus is tall or? Oh yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll claim it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I'll say yes. Claim it. <laughs> um, I'll laugh at more so the awkwardness afterwards. Um, <laughs> so also in the draw, Monica Puig knocked off Sam Stoja in the first round. That's um, not, just not surprising at this yeah, point. Yeah, Stoja's struggling on the hard courts. We'll see how she goes on the clay, but she also knocked off Wozniacki. Love six, six four, six four, and also Maria Sakari before losing to Danielle Collins in the fourth round. But Monica Puig, I think, is. I'm labelling it now a one-hit wonder. With the Olympic. Yeah. Yeah. What what she did there, I think, will stun everybody for, for, forever, pretty much, because they'll look at that and say, how did Monica Puig win an Olympic gold? But because the, she's the, the most... same way, that's, that's an incredible cap for her. Like, yeah. Her career may be underdone, but she's always going to have the fact that she won Olympic gold. And that's something very few people can say. Well, Roger Federer has not even won yes. an Olympic gold in singles. So it's, it's, it's a... Awesome achievement, what she did, but it's just, you, you know she possesses that quality, but it's quite soul-destroying when you watch her because she can play some atrocious tennis, can't she? Yeah. She yeah. really can. Yeah, she can. Um, in, that, in that game, the winner of it was Nyaki. Did either of you guys see the, uh, how should I call it, Caro's, um, what's, what's a good word for this? Her, uh, she wasn't very pleased after the match. Displeasure? I'm not sure if you guys saw it. Yeah, no, I missed it. So, for enlightenness? It. Uh, so, essentially, she wrote a message on her on her Instagram. Oh, yes. Sorry. Uh, no, I did see about that. About yes. some happenings in the crowd. So, supposedly, her uh, her, her box and her, her inner sanctum were uh, getting death threats from the crowd, which is wow. crossing the line. So, yes, I, yeah, that's well and truly crossing Well, the I'll line. read the statement here. I've loaded it up. So... Last night, I had a tough match against the great opponent and friend Monica Puig at the Miami Open. I'm fully aware that tennis is a game of wins and losses. However, during the match last night, people in the crowd threatened my family, wished death threats upon my mum and dad, called me names that I can't repeat here, and told my fiancé's niece and nephew, who are 10 years old, to sit down and shut the F up. Meanwhile, security and staff did nothing to prevent this and even accepted this to take place. While I always encourage fans to cheer for their favourite player and I thrive on a challenging atmosphere, when certain lines are crossed, it makes tennis miserable for both competitors. I hope the Miami Open chooses to take this seriously because it's a horrible example to set for the next generation of tennis players and fans. I wish Monica all the best for the rest of the tournament. Love, Caroline. That love was directed at Joel for uh, for picking her. Um, I could tell. (laughs) That's a fantastic statement, actually. I I mean, obviously, probably written by her media team. Possibly written (laughs) by her. No, she could have written it. Most likely written by her media team, but fantastically written, and I really like the point it made. Like, that is absolutely unacceptable from the crowd. There there should be action taken amongst those who were contributing towards that atmosphere. Um, I like the way she said um, she likes to thrives on a challenging atmosphere because that is a lot about tennis yep. is you're going to be put in atmospheres where you're not the favourite and you have to overcome that but there's a line and obviously that these people have crossed it and yep. there should be repercussions for that yep oh, 100% agreed and I think if they can find anyone that, that was yelling abusive messages and, and taunting her and her family which is 100% not on um, they should be fined and penalised and not be allowed into the Miami yep. Open grounds ever again but Having said that, this is Puig's home tournament, so she's always going to get a lot of fans. It is the closest tennis tournament to Puerto Rico. Um, so she's got a lot of family and friends over there, and she bases herself out of Miami. So um, she was always going to have the support, but that's that type of support is not on. And look, that could have definitely thrown Wozniacki off. She won the first set 6-love mm. and then lost the next two, ended up winning more games for the entire match. So I think that's really disappointing and a blight on the final ever tournament at uh, at K Biscayne because they're moving different uh, to a different um, site 
next year for the Miami Open. So well, James Blake will have a lot to talk about there. Well, one point I also wanted to bring up before, um, I think we, I don't know if we're going on to picks yet, but um, Sloane Stevens. I really wanted to talk about her her run because I think she's been very impressive. But this is the thing that I think has annoyed a lot of tennis fans for years is that the incredible amount of inconsistency in her game that she can have tournaments where she plays unbelievably well, like like the U.S. Open, yeah. and then just and then show that over like the next six months you just can't back up any of her form. And this yeah. is one of those tournaments where you, you see her play like this and you wonder if she backs this up, how well she could be, how good she could, be, could become. Yeah, well, look, the players she's beaten, she belted Tom Janovic to the loss of four games. Uh, Nicolescu pushed her to three, had to retire, four love down in the third, beat Muguruza in three, who's disappointed me this year so far. Um, and then, well, what she did to Kerber, um, that's that's inexplicable what she did to Kerber, 6-1, six, 6-2. Mm. Six, and Kerber's not in some bad form, no. so that is, that is a scintillating winner for someone that hadn't won a match until February um, after winning the US Open, I think it was on a 13 or 14 match losing streak. Really impressive that she's bounced back. She will be in the top 10, but against Victoria Azarenka, that's going to be... Well, she's been the other talking point phenomenal. for me on the women's side. Well, let's talk about it. Yeah. Um, it's just, even though you do, as I said on our pre-podcast video, you have to mute the TV when you watch it, and it's extremely frustrating, and... I don't think many of us in here are fans of grunting, but no. it's just good to see someone after such a torrid time in their lives come back and play some good tennis and quality tennis. And child custody fights isn't something that I would wish on anybody. No. And she, she's had a very tough couple of months. And she has, or a couple of, couple or of years. A couple of years, yeah. Um, so, and from what I've heard, her ex-husband or par- ex-partner is making life very difficult for mm. her in that sense where she actually can't leave America. Um, while the fight is on. Um, but the players that she's knocked off, CC Bellis, and that was in straight sets, 6-3, 6-love. Uh, Vic- uh, Madison Keys, 7-6-2-love. Uh, Keys retiring there. Beat Anastasia Sevastova, 3-6-6-4-6-1. And then Radvanska, 6-2-6-2, before defeating Karolina Pliskova, 7-5-6-3, en route to the semifinals. So it's good to see her playing some good tennis, but can she win the tournament? That's the big question. Can she go all the way and take it after having such a such an extended period of time off? Well, I mean, do we do we go to our picks now, or do we discuss um, that? Yeah, that's pretty much um, that's pretty much the, the good transition of, into our picks. Yeah, pretty much. So, well, let's go to the picks. Semi-final. Uh, well, hang on. We'll do the the final quarterfinals uh, for now. Ostapenko Svitolina. Uh, you, Josh. Okay. Sorry. Um, I in that name. one, I have got Svitolina. Svitolina. Uh, Venus v. Collins. I've got Venus Williams. Okay, so the other semi-final, Azarenka-Stevens. I've got Azarenka winning that. All right. And Svitolina Williams? I've got Venus Williams. Venus Williams. So, Venus or Azarenka? And that's why I wanted to make that seamless transition. I think this is going to be an unbelievable story for Azarenka. As she, she'll knock off Venus Williams. And with everything going on in her life, this will be... Um, what it should be in this is tennis as like the most passionate thing in your life and having that to kind of distract you from everything else going on in your life. Phenomenal. Thank you, Josh. I think that's a great point you make there. And look, it'll be a phenomenal story, mm. as we've seen. Uh, with And as I've, we've all mentioned with tennis over the last year, it's just been awesome to see. And Joel, your picks for this tournament. Uh, Ostapenko, Svitolina? Uh, Svitolina. Svitolina. Williams, Collins? Venus. Venus. Uh, Azarenka, Stevens. I think Sloan wins. Sloan? Yeah. Interesting call. Uh, Svitolina Williams? Uh, Svitolina. And Stevens or Svitolina? Oh, I think Alina Svitolina will win. Svitolina? Yep. 
I've got Svitolina winning as well. Uh, I've got uh, Azarenka getting to the final over Sloane Stephens, and I've got Venus Williams over Danielle Collins tomorrow morning. So a lot to look forward to over the next couple of days in the Miami Open. The final tournament at KBS Kane. Let's hope that we see some great results. Uh, Juan Martin Del Potro, the unanimous victor on the men's side with us, and Elena Svitolina and Victoria Azarenka, the two tipped to go all the way on the women's side. But that's about all we've got time for in Breakpoint Podcast today. It's been a good show, a lot of discussion, uh, which we enjoy. And Josh Campbell, thank you very much for being on the show today. No worries, Val. Always great to be here. It is always a pleasure to be looking at you. Look at his, look at that smile. It's just, it's beaming. And, uh, Joel, uh, Joel Fritchie, thank you again for being part of the show today. What, what soccer jersey are you wearing there? Oh, uh, this is, uh, Yokohama F. Marinos. Is that where the ties come from? From the J League. Is that where the tie, Yokohama ties come from? Uh, yeah, quite possibly. You should know this stuff. You're wearing, the, you're wearing the Guernsey. Oh, I know very little about, uh, okay. I know very little about the club apart from that there's a, an Australian defender and an Australian coach. Okay. Yes. Is it Postacoglu? Yes. All right. That's why we love them. That's my new team in the J League. Um, didn't yes, the, let, we'll move on. I remember, remember that's why that's why we talk tennis. Mm. That's why we talk tennis. Um, remember, you can follow us on Instagram at Breakpoint Pod, uh, at Breakpoint Podcast. Sorry, Twitter is at Breakpoint Pod, Facebook Breakpoint One. Find us on Wooshka if you search up Breakpoint. We're also on iTunes as well. Thanks for listening. I've been Val Febo. Hope everybody has a lovely day and a lovely week.